There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix on the 8th of April 2010. Newcomers, you should always look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website and there you'll find hundreds and hundreds of talks I've given over the past few years for download for free. And you can also uh, bookmark the other official sites I've got listed there on that front page because sometimes too many people go into the com at the same time it tends to make you make sticky download sometimes or sometimes I can't even upload to the com uh, they, they don't increase my my bandwidth although they're supposed to my, my disk space so you'd always have an alternate site to go to if you bookmark those sites and remember too uh, out of all those sites uh, you can also use the the European site that's Alan Watt Sentient Sentinel.eu the Euro- European site has all the same audios for download, but it's got the addition of transcripts of a lot of the talks, not all of them, but a lot of the talks that I've given, and you can choose from the various languages of Europe and print them up, pass them around to your friends. And remember that you're the audience that brings me to you every night. Uh, very few hosts have tried it this way before because they, the ones in the past have always gone under because the public don't support them. Uh, they'll, they'll pay money to get into archives and different things from other sites, uh, especially the ones that fascinate them with uh, uh, people with alligator shoes or UFOs and stuff like that, and mix fact and fiction in with what they call patriot movement. Uh, those are very, very important sites, very fascinating indeed. And people like to get fascinated more than they like to get, get educated, and that's their choice, of course. So those that try to go my way generally go under. Uh, the ads on this show that you hear in this show go straight to RBN from the advertisers. They bypass me completely, and that pays RBN to broadcast the show, pays for their, their board ops, uh, their bills, and all the other things they have to do, and the transmission itself. So you have to support me by looking into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. Buy my books. They're different than anyone else's. guarantee you that. I don't write them in a linear fashion textbook style. You've been brainwashed to, 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 to think that way, to, to reason that way even. And the, the boys at the top do not think in a linear fashion. That's why they always beat you. So go and buy my books, buy the, the discs I have for sale, and that'll make me just tick over, hopefully, because I've got a lot of expenses this end, as you can imagine. And you can use personal checks from the U.S. to Canada. You can also use international postal money orders from your post office. I stress international always. And you can also use MoneyGram, Western Union, cash. Some folk just send cash. Or you can use PayPal to donate or to order. If you want to order this, the books and so on through PayPal, just send the donation, the appropriate donation. And you can do a mathematics yourself. I'm sure you'll find all the prices on cuttingthroughmetries.com website. There's a section there for ordering. And you also send a separate email to me with your name and address on it, and I'll get that out to you. Same across the rest of the world, MoneyGram, Western Union, Cash, 
or PayPal for ordering or donating. And hopefully I can last a little bit longer because really I'm up in the air whether I should just keep going or, or just go off into the sunset and do other things which will actually pay me. And I certainly have opportunities in many different fields to do so. But what we're going through right now is very, very important. And I try to at least share the knowledge I have. And I'm, I'm grateful, too, that I've at least I've woken up a lot of people into a much bigger way of looking at the whole world, not just a little area or the little countries and so on, and to show them that the international agendas that have been going on since long before you were born. Now, the music's coming in, so I'll be back with more after the following break. This is Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. I've mentioned for years uh, that uh, the big boys work with an agenda and always in mind, and they do set target dates for implementation of parts of the agenda, and they never change, never alter uh, the the, the times uh, and pick other dates. They never deviate, in other words, from their plans. And you can count on them when they tell you what's going to happen, it's not done through your government per se. It's done through guys in government who belong to the Council on Foreign Relations generally from the Council on Foreign Relations own websites. It's interesting to me to see how uh, during election times you're told very little about politicians, who they actually are. Uh, you're told all you need to know about them as far as the big boys are concerned or at least what you're supposed to believe about them. But seldom do they ever tell you the associations they belong to already. Who's, which part are they going to play? Which part is this left winger going to play? Which part is this right winger going to play? And all that nonsense, because they all work for the same bosses, you see. And it's a Hegelian dialectic, and it always has been uh, for an awful long time in use, the left and right wing, while nothing ever changes except the agenda steamrolls ahead, regardless of who pretends to be in power, and we pretend to believe them. Uh, but when when uh, Tony Blair was in, for instance, I mean, he was a nobody who was picked uh, at university and trained uh, by uh, people like Isaiah Berlin, who put his name into the Council of Foreign Relations and the Royal Institute of International Affairs uh, as a, a likely uh, candidate because he was a yes man. He'd do whatever he was told. And, uh, I mean, if anything he was told and... Uh, as long as he's going to be well rewarded, which he certainly has been since he left office. Um, and that's how the, the world really works. But he belonged to the Fabian Society. I've gone over the history of the Fabian Society before, heavily funded by uh, the Milner Group that became the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Dash CFR, also by the Astor Foundation and other foundations uh, to manage what people thought was going to be the left wing, the radical left wing, in fact. And... Um, the, the founding members were very, very uh, much into the new type of socialism at the same time that came into Nazi Germany, in fact. And in the movie The Soviet uh, Story, excellent movie to see, a documentary, excellent. Uh, it's got so much in it to show you really what's, what it's all about. Uh, and, um, and what it really did show you 
is that what was really Soviet and fascist was one and the same thing. And that's why you had the, the Stalin-Soviet uh, um, uh, pacts, uh, because they had so much in common, even though one would shout later on fascist and one would shout communist. They had so much in common. It really is a totalitarian way of controlling masses of people with a massive bureaucracy, with using a sort of socialistic, uh, collectivist mentality over the masses to control them so that the elite could rule them at the top. And both the Soviet system and uh, the the uh, the Nazi system were had big international corporations working with them from the very beginning. In fact, they, lot, they were really funded by them and the banks of the Western world. Both both of them were. And they show you there uh, what socialism really is all about on behalf of the masters at the top, the very rich masters who who truly own it. And. Um, Part of it, too, was depopulation, especially beginning with what they declared were the unfit members of society. And George Bernard Shaw, in a very rare piece of footage, at least I'm sure there's lots of footage of him, but we never get access to it, as you know, even though I'm sure the BBC has thousands and thousands of reels on him. He spoke on behalf of the Fabians, and he said that uh, perhaps we should uh, get the scientists to work on uh, a, a painless, humane gas that would kill off all the unfit in the in the country, he said. Uh, and you, so you know where Hitler got his idea from. In fact, Hitler copied everything that they, that they said in the West and in, in the Europe and in, in Britain. And that was part of their whole agenda. Now, part of it too in the, in the Fabian society was to bring in a world under order, their order, the natural intelligentsia with the money, who, who obviously are the survival, prove the survival of the fittest since they're at the top of the tree. That's how they literally uh, decide they are uh, the most, the best survivors. They're, they're stinking rich. They've kept a hold of it for generations. They dominate uh, millions of people. Therefore, they're the natural fit rulers. And this cumbersome nonsense of democracy uh, is really a good sham to keep the people under control while you go ahead with your brave new world scenario. Well, Tony Blair belonged to the Fabian Society, as does Mr. Brown, who presently is the Prime Minister of Britain. And uh, they also belong to the International, it's a Socialist International, they call it. I don't know if it's the second or third or fourth, they keep changing it. And uh, they push in these socialist policies on behalf of the richest men on the planet. But, it, but Blair did say, uh, and this was exposed in the newspapers, so I'll try and find the link. I read it on the air about a month ago, maybe, where Blair had said that to his right-hand man, he said, my job here is to so alter the, the face of Britain by massive immigration of the most diverse, diverse meaning opposite cultures that people would, that the British way of life, the culture would be, com- be completely destroyed, could never get itself back together. That was part of his agenda. And he really opened the floodgates to immigration. Well, you see the fallout of it today. As Mr. Blair goes on and is, is so well rewarded, he's, he's got 20 or 30 million pounds now given to him through various means for what he did as prime minister. That's how they pay them off. But the fallout hits the rest of society, never mind with crime and all the rest of it. Uh, it says here from the Mail Online, 8th of April, 1.67 million jobs were created since 1997 under the Labour government. 
and it's gone. Each, uh, it says, um, no, sorry, 1.67 million jobs created since 97 has gone to a foreigner. Immigration was at the centre of the election campaign today, and of course the Conservatives will hype that up and change nothing. As it emerged that virtually every extra job created under Labour has gone to a foreign worker. Priority hiring, you see. Figures suggested an extraordinary 98.5% of 1.67 million new posts were taken by immigrants. The Conservatives seized on the revelation as evidence that the government was totally failed, that they have totally failed to deliver its pledge of British jobs for British workers. Uh, uh, but it's not really that. You understand that they're also bringing in the extended families from these diverse cultures. In fact, in the US and Canada and Britain, people from those what they call diverse cultures that still have extended families, they can bring them all in. But if you go to any other country, even from Britain to Canada, you can't bring all your family in unless you belong to one of these diverse cultures. And then that hits the healthcare system too. In fact, some of them, it's been in the papers here, uh, some of them go right on, some of the elder ones go right into nursing homes. They've never, they haven't paid a penny into any, any of this. And that gets people very irate. Continuing with this article, it says, As Gordon Brown tried to fight on the economy and cleaning up politics, he was confronted in the Commons about how British people of working age have lost out. The shadowy, shadow immigration minister, Damien Green, revealed unpublished figures showing there are almost 730,000 fewer British-born workers in the private sector than in 97. Mr. Green said the Tories would reduce net migration to tens of thousands a year from the peaks of 200,000 under Labour by enforcing an annual cap. So, uh, of course, they're not going to change it. Mr. Brown rejected the idea of an immigration quota, I mean reduction, which he said would do great damage to British business. <laughs> but really, that's the, the real idea, the real uh, thing behind it was this uh, uh, this uh, mush society of diverse cultures uh, where literally you go through a period of massive chaos and fallout and violence between different groups until it settled down. This is what they, they decided back in 19, I think it's 17 or so, in the Fabian Society. It reminds me of um, what Mr. Rockefeller said at one of his meetings when he was talking about the similar thing to the U.S. and the rest of the world. He said, well, you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs. So the fallout for maybe 50 years or mayhem and all this kind of stuff, that's it, it, all it is. It's just an omelette getting put together, and this is tough luck, you see. That's acceptable. All that fallout's acceptable. They're not suffering at the top. Of course, they don't even mix with any of the ordinary people of any class or any ethnic group. Uh, so they don't mix with it. So they can watch the omelets cracking all around them, I guess. So that's the world you live in because we live to a big agenda, a big world plan. And uh, what's interesting, too, everyone's going on right now, is interesting how feeds get put out to the Internet. They have names for this because the government itself has specialized teams and cyber warfare experts and so on, putting out stuff and watching it run around the Internet in circles. And sure enough, everybody goes along with it like a big wave and, and prattle on about it. So we're given, we're given the things to prattle on about and complain about, to be honest with you. That's why I tend to go into the actual CFR meetings, the big foundations meetings, uh, their big NGO meetings and their own websites and show you what's really going on most of the time. When you read the media, believe you me, it's put out there for you regardless of what they're saying. 
But uh, what's a bit many are on about now was an article put out, a statement put out by Moody's on March the 15th, where Moody's had uh, mentioned that the U.S. and Britain especially uh, better start really uh, working hard to manage their books uh, and put in all the unpopular mandates they'll have to put in to save the economy, meaning the banking system. Uh, unpopular means through massive taxation, because how else are they going to get anything? It's always through tax. Governments do nothing but tax, you see. That's what they do. And spend your tax money, generally not on you. So uh, what they were also saying, it might cause uh, social co- uh, disturb social cohesion. What that means in their parlance is the same terminology used in the military department's um, Exposés they put out two for the Department of Defense, which I've read on the air, 90 pages, then one from the U.S. too, uh, that there could be riots starting if they don't mandate these unpopular policies and make us all poor. Back with more after this break. This is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, just discussing about the, the waves that are sent round all media and the internet, and everyone prattles about them on cue, as we're supposed to do. And one of them was Moody's, of course, making the statements that social cohesion could be put in jeopardy, and that the U.S. and Britain might end up with riots uh, similar to, to Greece and uh, Spain and so on. And so there's one article out, as I say, from the Washington Post on that, too. It says, called, No Room for Error on the U.S. Debt. And uh, they're talking about cutting back on spending, and if it's done too soon, it would risk a double-dip recession and all that kind of stuff, you know. It's all managed perfectly, the top, believe you me, whichever way they go and what, it's what they want. And the outcome, too, will be what they want. But they do say it will test social cohesion. That, that means will there be riots and so on. It says, nor can big developed countries expect to export their way to health on the back of booms in emerging markets such as India and China. Well, of course not, because that's why they set up India and China. China didn't drag itself up to be the main manufacturer of the planet. The Western uh, powers that that own the Western countries, uh, through the the governments which they own as well, uh, got the GATS going, the General Agreement on Trade and Tariffs, and agreed to send everything offshore and encourage all the factories moving offshore to China. And actually, they use the taxpayers' money to do so, uh, to, to get them across to China and to set up their new factories in China. Yep, you funded all that, all you unemployed folk out there in the West, and your governments were responsible on behalf of uh, their masters. You were also responsible for paying for any losses incurred during the first 10 years of operating business. Did your major media bother telling you about that? No, of course not. Well, they set up China too and, and India and, um, and believe you me, there's, there's, there's to be nothing to replace it back home. This is a service economy discussed as far back as the 70s. That, that's what they had planned for the US, uh, Great Britain and a few other countries, service economies. So I'll put that, these articles up on the website cuttingthroughmatrix.com at the end of the show. If ExploreNet, which I pay a lot of money to get uploading through their satellite system, uh, gives me more than double dial-up speed. And an, a, another good editorial 
It's also from the Washington Post today. That's a bit more uh, satisfactory than the last one. But it says, uh, Global Warming's Unscientific Method. That was April the 7th, actually, this one here. The prophets of global warming continue to lament as a carefully crafted yarn unravels before their eyes. Ross McKittrick, an intrepid economics professor from the University of Guelph in Ontario, Canada, has tugged apart the thin mathematical threads that once held together the story of climate change. Recent attempts to silence Mr. McKittrick illuminate the extent to which the alarmists have abandoned proper scientific method in their pursuit of political goals. Now, they haven't abandoned a darn thing, folks. Uh, If you notice, the laws are getting passed, and they've been passed, they're going to be taxed into the grave for carbon taxes and uh, on your vehicles and all the rest of it and all the energy. This is all the same scenario under the guise of saving the world from freezing or cooling, you see. Whichever way it goes, which has gone on for millions of years. Mr. McKittrick has spent the past two years attempting to publish a scientific paper, attempting to publish a scientific paper. And I told you the last few nights that if you think science is somehow impartial to politics, forget it. Science really is under the dictate of politics. It's always used by politics, always. So, And if you don't go along with them, you are frozen right out. As we've already noticed by different articles that have emerged from what the IPCC has done to different scientists, some of whom are on their boards, and uh, it said this is hogwash. It just it doesn't stand up to scientific investigation. Well, they were completely ostracized, and, and the big magazines were told not to publish any of their works. This is what goes on. This is all politics. Everything is politics. So, Ms. McKittrick has spent past years attempting to publish a scientific paper that documents a fundamental error in the 2007 United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change Report. This UN document serves as the sole authority upon which the Environmental Protection Agency based its December endangerment finding that will allow unelected bureaucrats to impose cap-and-trade-style regulations without a vote of Congress. The cost to the public in higher gasoline and energy prices will run into the billions. It's going to run you off the road, actually. That's part of the intention of it. One might think that the scientific community would be extra diligent in double-checking the conclusions of a report carrying such weighty real-world consequences. In fact, the opposite happened. Seven scientific journals circled the wagons to block publication of Mr. McKittrick's explosive findings. He's a professor, this guy. The IPCC report argued that temperatures rose one degree Celsius over the course of a century as a direct result of man-made carbon dioxide emissions. This tiny change in temperature was calculated through the use of an adjusted set of global surface temperature readings, special computers designed for the purpose. Mr. McKittrick found that factors unrelated to global climate contaminated this data set, resulting in a higher temperature reading. Well, lots of exposés have been done on on their bogus readings. He showed a statistically significant correlation between the change in temperature readings and socio and economic indicators. It makes sense, for example, that replacing trees in the forest with concrete and glass skyscrapers might contribute to the 0.1 degree annual uh, increase in local temperature readings. This urban heat island effect would not be present in readings taken outside of the asphalt jungle. They're taking all the readings from the middle of the concrete jungles, folks. Back with more after this break. 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Now, I've read articles from people in some countries that are more socialized than others, uh, complaining about the U.S. and so on and saying, well, you know, the, it's much better where we are because we've got the socialized health care and all. Well, listen, if government wants to give you a system that works, you will have it. However, if they want to take it down, which they will, believe you me, once you're all pacified and independent, they will do that too because, you see, the World Health Organization is ultimately in charge of all the healthcare systems and their policies, as it is with everything else and every other policy to do with health or housing or anything else. And uh, they want the most minimal care to be available across the world. And anything above minimal care will depend on your necessity to your community, your social standing. So enjoy it while you got it, because it won't last, as they hammer away at the U.S. and everywhere else. The countries that still have bits of it, like Canada and Britain, are in a mess already, because they were designed to go down eventually. I know guys who worked in this system back in the 1970s in Canada, at top levels, who were told at meetings that come around the late 80s, right through the 90s, they would start drumming the, 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 the beats for uh, crisis in healthcare, and that's all we've heard as they were slashing back, slashing back, starting on mandate with the rural hospitals, which were very good hospitals, and they're all paid by the people in the areas through their taxes. And it was done through Bobbrae in Canada and other ones in the U.S., and other ones across Canada, two other uh, local prime ministers, I call them, the, the provincial ones. And because the idea was under the Agenda 21 plan coming up, you see, uh, we'd all be living in habitat corridors alongside the major highways, which are just being finished now. That's where everyone's be crowded into and then into the major cities that are all uh, interlinked together. You've got to read the real reports. It's the only way you'll make sense of anything happening. And you might start initially saying, well, isn't that a coincidence that I read that in that report two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, and here it is happening. But eventually you'll catch on, folks. You'll catch on your world in the future is planned that way. Hopefully. If, if, you, if you can't catch on, then uh, please don't email me. Now, here's an article here about the U.S. and the way it's going, again, from the Washington Times. And it's an editorial close enough for government work from April the 6th. Uh, it says, part of President Obama's health care bill depends... It's not his, you know that. You know, Hillary Clinton was talking about that. They are working on it while she was up there. And it says, part of the President's health care bill depends on the government's telling of doctors and hospitals what are purportedly the most efficient medical procedures they should use. So the see, bureaucrats are now telling the doctors what procedures they, they should use because the RAND Corporation was employed to find how to cut costs in all directions. Americans are supposed to trust Mr. Obama's bureaucrats over their own doctors. See, your doctors will become, as they do, government agents under a, a federal health care system. You understand that. 
Meanwhile, a new report from the Government Accountability Office shows that the Obama administration has been an utter failure at identifying the efficiency of a wide range of products. As government uh, encroaches on more aspects of American life, the federal bureaucracy is increasingly incompetent as it expands. I added the last part because it's really expanding. The Environmental Protection Agency and the Department of Energy are charged with identifying how energy efficient different products are. They claim that 98% of the products they test meet or exceed the Energy Star requirements, which are government benchmarks used to regulate greater efficiency. Yet a stingy but a sting by GAO investigators showed that the government agencies incorrectly identified as efficient 15 of 20 bogus products submitted by the GAO for testing. No action was taken on two of the 20 products. Overall, the government made the correct decision on 11% of the test products. Actually, I've got another article here. I'll try and find it. It's very important. ties in with this because... I don't know if you know that recently the big pharma made a deal with the U.S. government to substitute uh, different um, ingredients in their pharmaceutical products. Now, the mainstream, I don't think, mentioned it. and But I have the articles here from the, the, the corporations involved and from the government, U.S. government. And it's to make them cheaper and cheaper, you see. And they will obviously lose their efficacy as you put in substitute ingredients, you'll be paying the same amount of money for them. They'll still be called the same products. There'll also be different side effects with them, which become apparent over a while as they deny it, mind you. And what was interesting, too, was uh, because of the hullabaloo about thimerosal or mercury in the vaccine shots and the public wising up to it, they've agreed that the pharma will no longer have to label that on any of their inoculations. And, by the way, it says, I'm not kidding you, I'll try and find this. It said they can also up the quantity of thimerosal up to three to four times uh, the, the present allowable standard. Just to let you know. Just to let you know about that. That's for your new healthcare system, you see. Everything is for a political agenda. And depopulation certainly is. A political agenda. So that's that article there. As, as the doctors become government agents, the bureaucrats run the doctors' lives. And believe you me, they're politicized too. They'll do what they're told. All professions, psychiatry especially, since they've been a tool all down the years for regimes to lock away people with conflicting opinions. Here's, an art, here's a part here from a very good book. For those who've got a brain to follow, because believe you me, it's not easy reading. Uh, you've got to really go through a blow-by-blow blow what I did, what they said, what I did then, what they said. Accounts of one man's um, taking on the, the, the Soviet regime in the Soviet Union when it was the Soviet Union, when they locked away people who had different opinions than, than the authorized ones. And it's called A Question of Madness, Repression by Psychiatry in the Soviet Union, by Zoras A. Medvedev and Roy A. Medvedev, his brother. His brother fought like crazy, going through all the different bureaucratic levels, being given the runaround and so on, because he locked up his brother. Why? Because he came out with articles on the genes of plants and, and biology and so on, which differed from a hero, a Soviet hero scientist, uh, his ideas, which are all wonky, actually, but Stalin loved them, and... Uh, 
Lysenkov, I think it was, and uh, his crazy ideas were told, this, this is now the authorized mandate and belief system of this particular area of science. Well, it's no different than the IPCC, who've done the same blocking of professors who will not go along with their political agenda. And it is a political agenda. Everything at the UN is a political agenda. That's what the UN's all about, politics, world politics. But they lock, they lock you up, as I say, if you go against them. And they've done the same thing to a lot of professors. They can't even get their works published here in the West if they go against the IPCC. Because this whole New World Order taxation, we serve the planet idea, we serve the system, and they'll give us a high priest to serve. Believe you me, who live very well, is all based on, on this bogus uh, carbon and nonsense like that. Anyway, back to this book here. And on page 194... It says here, totalitarian centralization of the medical service. This was written in the 1960s, I believe, or it happened in the 1960s. Totalitarian centralization of the medical service, while introducing the progressive principle of free health care for all, has also made it possible to use medicine as a means of government control and political regulation. Medical dossiers in clinics and hospitals are available to government officials, and a growing number of institutions and agencies ask for reports about a person's state of health, with details of his past medical history and symptoms. Psychiatrists are playing an increasingly important role in all this, and they may secretly veto a young person's entry to an academic institution or a trip abroad, even only as a tourist, or pronounce his his uh, uh, suitability or unsuitability for many categories of employment. And he goes on to say basically that once again, uh, doctors become uh, agents of the government. And he, but what a story this guy's got to tell here of how this, this gets you for going against what the authorized scientific opinion uh, is, you know. And, uh, and he certainly said they can just lock you up and claim whatever they wish to claim to keep you in prison, which is psychiatry, a psychiatric prison, basically. That's when doctors become pawns and servants of the government, and everything becomes very inefficient. So people should try, those with a brain who can really, and I mean that too, a lot of folk today have no attention span whatsoever. They're bored. They get bored with everything. If it's not a flashing, enough flashing scenes in a movie with chases and cars blowing up and different, every scene lasts three seconds maximum. If they, they can't, they can't follow it. They've been like that since they watched the first cartoons that were designed for the same purpose, to lower your attention span. But they cannot read. They can't read. That's a trade-off for having what they claim is supposedly fun. Now, because of all the, the the new system where we have to serve the planet. Remember, the Royal Institute of International Affairs in its own mandates, when it's set up, its tenets set up that uh, they bring in a world of service, servitude to the world state, servitude, servitude. That's from the same term word as serf, remember, because it's a new feudal system. I hope people can put this together. That's what Professor Carl Quigley said, who was the official historian for them. They're bringing in a world of service uh, as a new feudal system where CEOs, corporate readers, will be the new overlords over the general public. But the duty of the general public will be to serve the world state. 
service to the world state. That's what all this global warming nonsense and taxation you into the ground, putting you into little habitat areas, grading you according to your necessity to the community and communitarianism is all about. And the media, the mainstream won't tell, but you can go into the main websites if you want to do your own searches into their own histories. They put it up for you if, if you've got the head to go through it. Yes, very boring stuff, but I'll tell you, you won't have to guess about anything ever again. Here's an article here from the Times Online, April the 1st, 2010. Ten important tax changes happening in April 2010. Tax return. Alistair Darling, this is the, the guy in charge of the, the taxations on Britain, has already announced a massive £20 billion tax raid before last Wednesday's budget, mainly targeted at high earners. Now, this is a con. They always tell you that. That's what they always start the story off. Okay, the rich are going to get socked. But as Elton John said back in the 70s, yeah, they always do that for us boys, he says, but they always write in another loophole. He says, we never ever have to pay taxes for that. He was very honest about it. But they always start off their, their, their articles in that way, to, to put you off guard as you, walk, as you read the rest of the story. Here we remind you of the key measures that were coming in effect from April the 6th. Showroom taxes. The government announced taxes for high-polluting cars back in 2008, but these finally kicked in on April. Vehicle tax rates for cars registered in or after March the 1st, 2001, are split into 13 bands. That's for the U.S. to copy, you see, which they're starting to copy now. So the, the, the grade you A to M, depending on the CO2 emissions, the amount you will pay depends on, on the, the band your car comes under, the grade, you see. The most polluting newly bought cars in band M, such as the Lexus, uh, will incur a charge of up to £950 for the first year and £435 thereafter. These are punishment taxes. New cars in band L, such as the Vauxhall Zafira, um, will incur a £750 first year rate and £425 thereafter. However, cars and bands A will pay no vehicle tax at all. Now, you already pay a road tax, which comes under that, so you will be paying. Believe they, these guys give you nothing. For, they never, never give you nothing for, for nothing. Fuel duty. The, the Chancellor's planned a 3% rise of fuel on duty on April the 1st. Then it's to be staged in two increases, so it's, so it's, put, it's not so bad with each increase. We, we accept a few pennies at a time, you see. That's what they say at the top. It's when they give you a, a umpteen pounds at one time, we start getting shocked. So they stage it in two, two increases. They stagger it. Income tax bans. Tax allowances will be frozen for the tax year 2010 to 11 instead of rising with inflation. That's because they're going to make you, they're taxing all the things that you buy, your energy and everything, you see. While the higher rate tax threshold will be frozen at £43,875 until 2013. If it increased by the current 3% rate on inflation, it would rise to 44995 almost 45000 This means taxpayers will pay an additional £489 in tax. That's in straight tax. That's not on all your purchase taxes. And 75000 more will pay the higher rate tax for the first time, which, of course, they won't. Mr. Warburton of Grant Thornton, Grant Thornton, yeah, sounds very official, Grant Thornton, the accountant says, similarly, the tax for your personal allowance will stay at £6,475 instead of rising to 6669 meaning every taxpayer will pay an extra 40 <laughs> But they go on about all this stuff that nobody really bothers reading because it's, it's, it's hullabaloo and so on. I said they're going to get stiffed. That's what you call, you're going to get stiffed, folks. That's what it's going to be. And they also talk about uh, 
pensions. Interesting how they word this. The good news, here's the good news, is that men and women will need to work for only 30 years to qualify for the full basic state pension. Oh, isn't that nice? Currently, women need 39 qualifying years of national insurance contributions and men need 44 years. The bad news is that women's state pension age will gradually rise from 60 years to 65 between 2010 and 2020. (laughs) Bringing it in line with men's. Then from 2024... uh, the year 2024, both the men's and women's state pension age will rise from 65 to reach 68. So you have to be 60. You might just make it before you croak and get a penny back for all that money you paid. And see, the government really needs that money now that we're in trouble, you know. And we're fighting all that carbon dioxide and stuff. And you got to get something for the big boys to trade these bags of nothing between each other for trillions of dollars through the Rothschilds Bank in Switzerland and Mr. Al Gore's outfit and so on. Oh, God. So it's just astonishing how the, but it's the same old stuff. I've seen this my whole life long as you're, as you're, you're shafted and shafted and shafted, you know. And the public people, they still think they're free. They're living in a police state everywhere, but they think they're free. (laughs) Now, I've mentioned before how the big institutions that run the world, the parallel governments, as quickly called them, the real governments, who are not uh, answerable to the public, you see, but they tell governments what to do, and they even put their own men in governments and, and bureaucracy across the world. From the Council on Foreign Relations' own website, it says, harnessing international institutions to address climate change. That's education, everything, to go on board. They call this consensus building, meaning if you want to be part of the system and not be defamed and get cash coming your way, you better go along with this. That's what it means. But there's the music coming in. I'll be back with more on this after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, we're Cutting Through the Matrix. I'll put these links up, remember, on cuttingthroughthematrix.com at the end of the show, with the blessings of ExploreNet satellite upload, if they dare to give me a wee bit of speed to put it up there. Anyway, this I'm going to put up this link too, to the Council on Foreign Relations, the parallel government, the guys who've got think tanks working on everything, this charitable organization that runs the world on behalf of the bankers who own them. In fact, that's what it does own them. It was comprised primarily at the top of bankers from the old Milner group. International boys, of course, international bankers. Not just local bankers, but international boys. And they run the world, and they decide where it's going. And here they are with the ideas how to bring all international institutions in together on climate change to be politically correct and go along with the one agenda, just like the Soviet Union, you see. And all science must go along with it if you want to pass your, your examinations and be a scientist and get paid, etc., etc. That's how it's done. And there's a PDF of uh, their, their technique from their own website on how they're going about doing this. They cover every single area, every institution, folks. All education, every single thing. And... Interesting, too, this article here um, is from Truthout, actually, but it's an article about the troops uh, in Iraq 
And the title is, is that we were told just to shoot people and the officers would take care of us. On Monday, April the 5th, the WikiLeaks uh, org posted video footage from Iraq taken from a U.S. military Apache helicopter in July 2007 as soldiers aboard it killed 12 people and wounded two children. And it goes about the dead and so on and so on. The U.S. military confirmed the authenticity of the video. It clearly shows an unprovoked slaughter. It's only one of many slaughters. That's what they do over there. And it's shocking to watch while listening, listening to the casual conversation of the soldiers in the background. These soldiers talk just as if they talk to each other as they're sitting playing on the couch there with their little video games. That's how they're talking, folks. As disturbing as the, of the video is, this type of behavior of, by U.S. soldiers in Iraq is not uncommon. It's, it is the common. You can't be a man unless you show that nothing bothers you. <laughs> Just blew his head off. <laughs> you know, that's how they talk, you see. And it says, I remember, one of them says, I remember one woman walking by said, Jason Washburn, a corporal in the U.S. Marines who served three tours in Iraq. He told the audience at the Winter Soldier hearings that took place March 13, 16, 2008 in Silver Spring, Maryland. She was carrying a huge bag and she looked like she was heading towards us, so we lit her up. They called it lighting her up, you see. They lit her up with Mark, a Mark 19, which is an automatic grenade launcher. And when the dust settled, we realized that the bag was full of groceries. She'd been trying to bring us food and we blew her to pieces. Ah oh, ha 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 ha. Well, there you go. And you know what the rest of it's like, because that's what soldiers are all about, folk in reality. That's what you go into the military to be. A man. To be a man, you know. You look at all the nasty stuff and the gruesome stuff and you laugh at it. Ha ha. Just like that, you see. And if you don't, the rest of them will rib you on it and call you names. And you have obedience to authority, you see. Obedience to authority. That means you're brainwashed into obeying authority and you will do whatever you are told. And experiments have proved this. You'll do whatever you are told as long as a superior person, an officer in authority, tells you to do so, that they'll shoulder it for you. And you can have no conscience about it at all. Just go and play Johnny Got His Gun. Anyway, from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. I mean, your God or your gods go with you.